information you can trust, stories you can relate to, and tips and tactics you can apply on your next adventure. Hunting, fishing, camping, and everything in between. This is the Battle Mountain Podcast. In this episode, I have Brian Child, one of the founders of Baku, used to be known as Backcountry E-Bikes, and this podcast was recorded before they changed their name. So every time you hear Backcountry E-Bikes, just know that they are now called Baku. Uh, We touch a little bit on how the company got started, where the idea came from, learn a little bit about Brian, uh, learn how to troubleshoot a bike, how to ride them more efficiently, and everything in between. It was a recording over the internet, and there are some pauses and whatnot, so I apologize for that. But other than that, I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the podcast. Zach Harold here. Today, we have Brian Child with Backcountry E-Bikes, one of the minds behind that electric bike. Uh, super excited to have him on. I mean, met him at the Western Hunt Expo at Salt Lake City, and there were so many people in and out of that booth. There's no way that we could have got a podcast going on there. So here we are, going to crush one out now, or we're going to dive into kind of the backstory story of backcountry e-bikes uh you know a little bit about brian's backstory and then discuss their bikes and and what makes their bikes tick so thanks a bunch brian for hopping on the podcast absolutely zach i appreciate you having me yeah i'm really looking forward to it i uh i've been looking into e-bikes for a while now and i like I've mentioned to you, I don't really know anything about uh, what makes a good bike, what makes a bad bike. You know, to me, I'm I'm thinking, you know, if you can if you can get on them, you can pedal them, and the wheels don't fall off. I, I feel like that's pretty good, you know. And then there's there's getting to be, uh, several companies out there that not tons, but several that have you know the e-bikes. And as far as that goes, I. I have no idea where to start or what to even look at. So I'm really excited to, you know, kind of dive into your backstory and, and how, how you guys went from, Hey, this sounds like a good idea to making such an incredible e-bike. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm excited to share all of that with you um, a little bit about kind of how we got started and, and then we can, yeah, we can talk about the basics of e-bikes and and um, what to look for and and uh, depending upon your type of hunting or or what application you're anticipating using it for, what would be the best uh, type of bike to go uh, to go after. Awesome, awesome. So, tell us just a little bit about yourself and. Uh, how how you got started into you know where the idea came from to going from whatever you were doing before to let's start making e-bikes <laughs> where did that come from <laughs> absolutely <laughs> well it, it came out of frustration because uh back it was uh the fall of 2014 uh brother-in-law and i uh, dave andre um, who's a co-founder um of backcountry e-bikes he and i were archery elk hunting um, in Idaho, southern Idaho, and um, it seemed like every bull that we got to respond to a bugle was always two ridges over, and uh, we we were constantly asking ourselves, how are we going to get 
two ridges over to that bugling bull uh, quietly and quickly before uh, he moves back up into the trees. And so that's really where there was a need that kind of uh, kind of started everything. Well, we finished that hunt that year. We came home. We had had some time to think about it over the winter and uh, just started to do a little bit of research online and looking for ways that we could get quietly and quickly um, across mountain ranges and, and uh, hunting areas. And we came across um, electric-powered um, vehicles. And um, so that's kind of where the idea started. And next thing you know, we found ourselves um, in China and Taiwan and um, looking at electric-powered uh bicycles and scooters and uh, other electrical uh, powered uh, modes of transportation. And um, we, we bought 10 different prototype, prototype bikes, brought them back here to the U.S., and we started hunting on them that, that year. We, we started actually kind of playing around on them because they were just plain fun to ride. And then we started <laughs> to hunt on them, yeah, in the fall of 2015. And real quickly, we learned, like everything else out there, that um, it, not everything is created equal. We found some things that we really liked on some of the bikes, and then we found just absolute junk in some of the other bikes. And um, we realized that there's certain certain components and certain motors and certain um things on on one bike that was was great for the type of hunting that we were doing and then other things that just did not work um got stranded on the mountain a number of times because <laughs> of burned up controllers and burned up motors and and electrical problems and had to hike out i remember one night hiked out four miles pushing two bikes because they they just oh, weren't built no. for that so yeah <laughs> yeah it was a killer so we 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 real quickly learned that um, if we're gonna if we're gonna use this type of transportation to be able to climb hills and traverse rough rugged terrain, then we had to have motors and bikes that actually were built to do that. And a lot of the stuff we had brought back um, would have been great to ride around the park and around the neighborhood and run down and get groceries, but it certainly wasn't built to be able to climb mountains and. Uh, um, even more so be able to uh, haul weight and carry pannier bags and pull trailers. So that's where the idea started. Man, I, I could imagine that you kind of just put those, put those other bikes through the ringer. Cause I, I would assume, you know, you go over to China and, and wherever else, and it's, you start looking around, you're buying these bikes, but you're looking around, you're like, there's, there's no hills here. There's no mountains. <laughs> this, this might be interesting. Yep. I, I can yep. imagine. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. I mean, you'll, there's a lot of e-bikes. Uh, I mean, Asia and Europe, they've been around for a long time, but they use them uh, predominantly for, for commuting. Um, they're not uh, climbing climbing hills and and rough rugged terrain like we are here, uh, especially out west. And so, um, although we we thought we were bringing back some really cool looking fat tire e bikes, they they certainly weren't made 
or built to be able for the demands that we were placing on them. And uh, more times than once, I, I remember wanting to just chuck that bike off the side of the mountain. And uh, there was one evening I hiked back and I told, I told my brother-in-law, Dave, I said, you can go get that dang thing if you want, but I'm not going back in there to get that bike. It's worthless. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess, did anyone ever go back and get it? <laughs> Yeah, he yeah, he he's a pretty good dude. And so he <laughs> he actually decided that he'd plan his hunt the next day around that area and went back in and so he and, can uh, push the bike and out. He, <laughs> and he and he pushed that bike out. Yeah. Oh, so my gosh. oh man. I you know that that actually brings up uh before you know, before we go farther, that, that actually brings up something interesting to me because uh I noticed you said you, you bought some, bought the fat tire bikes and me not knowing a lot about the bikes, I automatically see fat tires. And I'm like, Oh man, that thing is made to be off-roading, rugged, this, that, and whatever. So as soon as you said fat tires, I was like, Oh, well they must've been made for that. <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. No. And that. That's a great. That's a great point because we thought the same thing. I mean, these didn't look like little city beach cruisers. They didn't look like an urban bike with skinny tires and and you know uh, big metal fenders that looked like you'd put a little basket on the front. And you'd go to the grocery store. These looked like like durable, rough, rugged, you know, fat tire bikes that you that you'd take to the mountains of Idaho and and you'd elk come off of them. And that's what we expected them to be. But they were anything but. <laughs> oh man! So, what? Uh, wh where did you start? You know, obviously you started by testing those ones out. But when you started designing yours, I mean, did you start with uh, literally everything from the ground up? You know, different spokes, different forks, different uh, frame, or did you just really hone in yeah. on the gears and the motor? Like, where did you guys start? Right. Well, everything that you mentioned, we have hand selected on our bikes. Um, but where did we start? Where we started was, was we said to ourselves, okay, this is essentially a fat tire mountain bike, and they've converted it into being an electric bike by doing basically two things. They put a motor and a battery on it. So let's start there. If this is going to be a hunting vehicle that we're going to use to, to traverse this rugged terrain, uh, then, then we need it to, to function and, and operate. And so if a motor and a battery is what makes it electric, then let's, let's find the best motor and let's get the best batteries so that, um, so that it'll do what we want to do. So we started there and we learned, we learned real quick, uh, because a couple of the bikes that we brought back, um, were what's referred to as a rear hub bike. In other words, the motor is located in the hub and in particular the, the rear hub. So the rear tire of the bike, you can get bikes that have a rear hub. You can get bikes that have a front hub. We had one bike that was a, um, a two wheel drive bike. So it had a motor in the front hub. It had a motor in the rear hub. Um, and then we had some bikes that, uh, that you refer to as a mid drive motor. We had a couple that were mid drives and we realized, um, in that first year that the hub bikes 
were a lot of fun to ride around town and take to the park and, and um, flat ground riding, but they, they did not climb hills. Um, and, and we didn't know why at the time, but we just knew that they didn't climb very well and they would overheat and that those are the ones we'd have the problems with. So, so quickly we learned that we got to look more towards a mid drive motor. And so we started looking at mid drives and we said, well, we, we're not in this to, to, uh, to compete with specialized and Trek and, and those guys, their, their mid drive motors, um, are usually, um, anywhere from 250 to 350 watt motors. They're built for traditional mountain bikers. Um, but we, we were saying to ourselves, we want this to be more than that we want this to be something that we can load down pannier bags we can pull a 200 pound trailer behind we can fit a, a guy that weighs 270 on this and he can use this to access areas that he normally couldn't hunt and so we started looking for motors that would have a lot more wattage that could create a lot more torque and could climb hills and uh we started to research uh from Bosch to Yamaha to Shimano to Bulls, and then came across the Buffang motors. Um, and as we as we uh, found the Buffang motors, we found the Ultra motor. Um, after doing some research, found that that was their biggest, baddest, beefiest um, motor that they made. And um, and so we started to build some bikes with the Ultra motor in it. And we used some of the other motors too early on. We used the BBS HD and the BBS 02. And, um, and so, yeah, to answer your question, we started first with motors and then we started with batteries after that. So we said, okay, let's pick our motor because that's, you know, you go buy a truck, you can buy a really nice truck for 40 grand with a gas, gas engine. Or you can buy that same truck with a with a diesel engine in it, and it darn near costs you double the amount of money. Right. Well, the same thing, you, you know, it is. It's true. And and the same thing with the e-bikes. You know, you can buy a, a bike with a hub motor that's extremely cheap, or you can buy one with a mid-drive motor that's a little more expensive, but still a lot less money than one that has a diesel engine behind it, one that is big, heavy-duty metal gearing that's built to climb, built for rugged terrain, built to carry a load, and that's what we found in the Ultra Motor. I see. So, so basically, from from that, I'm I'm understanding that the Ultra Motor uh, is metal construction, and the others must be plastic or something like that. Um, and it's just overall a yes. motor and putting out more wattage. Is that kind of what I what I gathered from that? Yeah. So so what you'll see in the in the Buffang Ultra mid drive motor compared to, for example, kind of their next motor down, which is probably the most popular mid drive motor on the market today, especially in the hunting industry, is the BBS HD. Um, motor. The difference, uh, the big difference, I mean, it's obvious when you look at them side by side. Um, as you mentioned, the Ultra Motor is constructed of all metal gearing, big, heavy duty, durable metal gears. The BBS HD motor has um, some metal gearing and it also has a Teflon gear in it. Uh, the idea behind the Teflon gear is that it's supposedly a little quieter, um, but we, we haven't found that to be the case. It's really not any quieter, but what we have found is that if, you, if it gets too hot, 
um, or if you're putting too many stresses on it, it can actually cause that Teflon gear to strip and, and wear out, whereas the motor gearing um, can handle those higher temperatures and doesn't cause uh, the Teflon gear to strip. Um, and then and then you have problems. So, um, so yeah, you're right. Heavy duty gearing. Also, the 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 other thing with the ultra motor is the reduction system in it. Um, the reduction in it is just built to be more efficient. Um, 18 to one gear reduction, built to be efficient, and a lot comes into efficiency because 99% of people when they come and ask us about our bikes one of the first questions they ask is how far will it go? Well, um, your, your battery is your gas tank. The bigger your battery, the bigger your gas tank. So, um, not only, not only do you want a big gas tank, but you also want a motor that uses that gas or that battery efficiently. And so if you have a motor with, uh, um, an 18 to one gear reduction, as opposed to, um, a motor that doesn't reduce quite as well. Now you're, you're utilizing more battery consumption and your battery doesn't last as long. So that's, that's a big thing with the ultra motor. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, you know, cause that, that's some of the first statistics that I looked at was, well, how far can this thing go? You know? And, uh, I had actually yeah. just learned about your guys' bikes. Um, about a year ago or something, not all that long ago. Uh, but I was looking at, you know, the Rambo and the, the quiet cat and uh, rogue, I think maybe is one of them. I don't know. Um, but I was mm -hmm. looking at those and, yeah. and then I found yours and I just was like blown away with, with the, with the drastic upkick in everything <laughs> you know uh it just yeah. it really yeah. surprised me and obviously me not knowing a dang thing about it i was like okay well that's cool they did something better <laughs> you know so uh <laughs> what about what about you know because I, I you let me ride one there in salt lake and i noticed that you're able to shift gears on it um is that is that literally just you know you go from one to two or three is that literally just telling the motor to help more or is it actually changing gears inside there or like how how does that work yeah exactly so um number one is when when there's on our bikes there's two modes of assistance there's either what's referred to as pedal assist which means as you're pedaling the motor assists you or there's throttle only assist you can just push the throttle and the throttle it does all of the work you're not pedaling at all um, there's two ways to adjust the assistance number one is it's just like a typical mountain bike um, on our on our 2019 mule we have nine speeds and so just like you would on a regular mountain bike using your index finger and your right thumb you shift the bike up or down depending upon the train that you're on so obviously if you're climbing a steep hill you're in first or second gear and if you're on flat ground and you're maintaining a higher speed then you're up in eighth or ninth gear but then with regards to the motor and what you're referring to is there's five levels of assistance. So on the left hand side 
um, of the handlebars is, is a little controller and you can shift up or down from a level zero, which gives you no power. In other words, you kind of essentially shut the motor off or a level one, which gives you a little assistance. Level two gives you more assistance. And so what that does is it directly uh, boosts the power of the motor and how much um, assistance it gives you. So whether you're in first gear and you're climbing a steep hill, you can be in mode one, two, three, four, or five, or if you're on flat ground and you're cruising at, at, at a top speed, you can be in assistance level one, two, three, four, or five. Level five gives you a lot of assistance. Level one gives you... Um, Gives you still quite a bit of assistance, but doesn't give you what level five does. And the reason that's so important is because there's times when you're when you're just riding on flat ground and you're just cruising. Um, well, if you're not riding on any technical terrain, then it's fine to let that motor give you a hundred percent of power. But if you're riding through something real technical and you're trying to be trying to dance your way through something, or you're making some hairpin turns, you probably want to dial that motor back a little bit so that it's not giving you too much power and you're actually in control of the bike. Gotcha. And that, that makes perfect sense to me. I, I was super impressed. You know, obviously it was, it was flat ground, you know, there at the, the expo, but yeah. Holy smokes. I was so impressed with how how much assist just one was. I, I barely even moved my yeah. feet and just shoot you across the room. I was like, holy crap. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. I've been telling my wife yes. about it ever since I got back. I've been trying to talk her into letting me buy one. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you. They are they're just plain fun to ride. I mean, we 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 call it the e-bike smile. And it's because I don't know what we expect to happen when we get on it and we start to pedal, but it certainly exceeds whatever that expectation is. All of a sudden it does something that we just don't expect it to do as much as it does. And it puts an instant smile on your face when you start to turn that pedal and you feel that motor kick in and, and give you power. Yeah. That, that's exactly how it was for me. Cause I had ne I'd never been on any of them. You know, and I was thinking, well, man, what is yeah. what is this yeah. really going to feel like? And I have no nothing to compare it to other than a regular bike, and and I'm not, I don't ride regular bikes very often, anyways. But man, I did that, yeah. and I started flashing through my head the number of hunts that that thing would help me on. I I texted my wife right, no kidding, right after I handed it back to you, Brian. <laughs> I texted her. I said, "We need to buy one of these." <laughs> <laughs> yeah well don't don't plan on just bringing one home she's going to expect you to bring two home well i told <laughs> her she's going to want to ride one too i said i said i'll tell you what because she used to she used to race bikes collegiately um so she has she has a oh, really wow. nice uh mountain bike that you know just a high-end mountain bike i once again, I don't know anything about bikes. Looks like just a bike to me, other than it's super light. And then she has another road bike that's all carbon, and that thing is crazy light. Um, but with her mountain bike, I wow. told her, I said, I said, you know, if we were to get one e-bike, you know, maybe we'd want another in the future, probably. But in the meantime, if we got one e-bike from you guys in a trailer, I said we could load both of our gear you know in the panniers and in the trailer and then the other person could just ride 
the regular pedal bike with nothing on them and then it wouldn't be near as bad at least you know the person with the e-bike yeah. handle yep. all the weight and everything obviously because of the assist but that that's what we've been toying around mm -hmm. to to get started you know with them just rather than buying, going out and trying to buy both of them at the same time or whatever you know yep yep i hear you i hear you yeah that sounds like a good plan yeah you're both gonna want to be on the e-bike though i can uh, promise you that because know, even, right? with that, <laughs> even with that gear behind you boy it's just fun <laughs> yeah i agree i i just man i was thinking about you know all the scenarios that i was thinking about you know is one going in shed hunting and carrying out all your sheds going in deeper than you normally would solo elk hunting and being able yep. to get whole elk back out before anything wrong oh, yeah i mean all of yep. those are such huge bonuses but so with you know obviously we, we covered the motor and why you know what is what's important aspects of the motor uh we you know, we covered your guys' pedal assist as well as your throttle. So what about the battery? You know, what, what are you, what is someone looking for in yeah. a battery for it to last, you know, long, like your guys do like, what, what's the difference? They all seem like batteries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, and they do seem like batteries and, and it's kind of like when you, you know, when you go to the grocery store and, and say you need a nine volt battery and, and you run into the grocery store or the hardware store and you need a nine volt battery, and you, you look at the little carousel there and you see three or four different brands of batteries and, you know, you maybe see Energizer or Duracell or whatever you see on there. And, and you'll see one battery costs you eight bucks for a nine volt battery. And then you'll see this other knockoff brand that's selling it for four bucks. And you think, well, God, is it really worth double the price to buy this battery over that battery. Well, the composition of batteries is what makes that uh, price difference. Batteries, certainly just like everything else, are not all created equal. So the composition of the battery allows a battery to hold a charge for a longer period of time or for a less period of time, depending upon the makeup of the battery. So our batteries are like like everything else is hand picked they're a long lasting lithium ion battery our batteries are um, made up of cells that are meant to hold a charge for an extended period of time. We're not so interested in a battery that can be recharged 10,000 times because we realize that a life of a battery whether it's a car battery or an RV battery or a battery in your flashlight, they have a shelf life. They're only going to last for a certain amount of time. You know, just like a car battery, you'll usually get five to seven years out of it. That's what these lithium ion batteries are like. Um, you're only going to get so, so much time out of them. So what are the odds that you're going to charge that battery 10,000 times in five to seven years? Well, you're just not, especially, most of the guys that buy our bikes, they're not commuters, they're hunters. And so they're using them, you know, four or five months out of the year, but they're not riding them year round. And so we selected our the cells in our batteries uh, to be cells that would maintain a charge for a longer period of time, but maybe don't get 10,000 charges, you maybe get 2,500 charges. 
And to us, that was more important than a battery that would charge numerous times. It was more important that it would hold a charge longer per charge. And that's what our hunters want. They want to be able to go further and um, on, on each charge. So our, our bikes um, come, well, if we, each bike is a little bit different, but if we're looking at like the mule or our storm, they come standard with a uh, it's a 48 volt battery, so it's a 48 volt system, and a, uh, they come standard with a 14.5 amp hour battery. And when you when you're talking about amp hours, that really is the gas tank. That tells you how how long is how much distance are you going to get out of that battery? How far can you go? And a good rule of thumb that's kind of out there, you know, you can't you you know you can't um, count on it, you know. 100% of the time because there's a lot of variables that go into battery life and, and, and distance. Um, but a good rule of thumb is about two miles per amp hour. So a 14.5 amp hour battery will get you roughly 29 miles if you're being battery conscientious. If you're you're, you're not riding all the time on a pedal assist of five. In other words, you may be riding in the one or two range. It's still giving you plenty of assistance, but um, you're still putting a little bit of in, into it as well. You're going to use more battery if you're on the throttle the whole time. The, 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 the motor's doing all the work then. If you're on a level assist five, then the motor's doing a lot of the work. And so if you're being battery conscientious, um, you're going to get roughly two miles per amp hour. And so um, we kind of felt and, and, and still do that most of us don't hunt more than 10 to 15 miles from where we camp. So a round trip, you know, 20 to 30 miles, that's a long ways. And so, um, so 14.5 is, is kind of where we start standard. And then you can jump up to a 17 or up to a 20 uh, amp hour battery. And so you can extend your distance there. And, and uh, you know, while we're talking about batteries, let's, let's talk a little bit about the variables that affect battery consumption. Because you have to talk about that because, like I say, one of the most common questions we get is how far can I go? Well, it's going to depend on a few things. Number one, how, how much weight is it pulling? Is, does the rider weigh 170 pounds or does he weigh 270? Is he pulling a trailer behind him that weighs 150 pounds or is he, is he just riding himself? Is he carrying heavy pannier bags? Is he climbing a hill? Is he on flat ground? Are you uh, riding on a level assist one or a level assist five are you using the throttle is it rugged terrain or is it just a smooth smooth trail so all of those things are going to affect battery consumption and people need to be aware of that a guy that weighs 270 is not going to climb a hill and use the same amount of battery a guy that weighs will use climbing that same hill they're going to use more battery and so um understanding that though allows you to plan allows you to say, you know what, I'm a bigger guy. I'm going to, I'm going to buy a little bit more battery. I'm going to buy a 17 or a 20 amp hour battery so that I can get a little more distance. Um, and so you can plan for that when you're educated. And that's, that's what's important to us is that people make educated purchases so that they know what they're getting when they spend their money. I got you. Yeah, that makes sense. So with, with the bike batteries, uh, you know, do you recommend getting just a higher amp hour or maybe two of the 14s or 
on the complete flip side, do you guys have a way to charge your batteries out in the field? Yeah, so I think it, it, it comes back into application here again as well. If you're, if uh, with regards to one, one battery with more amp hours or two batteries, me personally, um, I probably would go with two batteries. And the reason being is I can leave one battery at camp on a charger and um, the battery I'm riding uh, on, I can use up that battery and I can come back and have another battery that, that's fully charged up. And so if I have two 14.5 amp hour batteries, then essentially I have 29 amp hours of battery available to me. Um, and if I want to bring one of them with me, I can, you know, uh, wrap it up really good so that it's protected and I can put it in a pannier bag or put it on my trailer or put it in a backpack. Um, a 14.5 amp hour battery weighs about eight pounds. Um, so you can, you could bring one with you if you wanted to. Um, and that gives you 29 amp hours. Um, but then there's some guys, there's some guys that would just prefer to have one battery and, and they want a bigger battery. And so I, I think it really is kind of a personal preference. Um, but for me personally, I think, you know, 29 miles is plenty distance for me. And it's kind of nice to have another battery back at camp with regards to charging. Um, yes. Um, you can charge it obviously just a 110 just in the garage or at the house. Um, but we also, you can charge it from a generator if you're on the mountain, but we also, um, carry 200 watt solar panels that, uh, you can charge our batteries on and a 14.5 amp hour battery would charge on, on our 200 watt solar panel, depending upon cloud cover and, um, and access to the sun, but right around four to five hours, you'll charge a 14.5 amp hour battery using a solar panel. And so that's something a lot of our guys do too. I mean, we do the same thing when we're going on a, on a backcountry hunt and we're pulling all our gear back and we're staying back in the, back in the hills for a week, we'll, we'll bring a solar panel. We'll bring a couple of batteries and we'll just hook our solar panel up and it's charging batteries while we're out hunting that day. Um, and I've even taken my solar panel cause it folds up real nice and put it on a trailer. And I'll, if I'm going way back, I'll even bring my solar panel with me and wherever I park my bike, I'll plug the solar panel in. I'll go out and hunt and I'll come back and my batteries topped off and, and, and then I can head back to camp. So yeah, there's certainly ways to be able to charge, charge your battery, whether it's on a generator, if you've got a, a trailer or, or a camp that way, uh, or you can use a solar panel. Awesome. Yeah, that, that was actually going to be one of my next questions was, uh, you know, how, you know, what kind of use you guys are typically putting them through. And, and I don't mean that in a way that they couldn't handle different use. Um, not at all. I, 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 after seeing them, seeing their construction and stuff like that, I, I think obviously they're very tough built. Um, what I'm, what I'm meaning is, do you guys typically, you know, uh, set up kind of a base camp and then you bike to where you're usually hunting or do you, you know, park at a trailhead, bike back in six, seven or however many miles and, uh, set up camp and then, you know, hunt out of that camp. What, what do you guys usually find yourself doing more with, with the e-bikes? We, we do a little bit of both. Um, you know, if we're on a, if we're on a whitetail hunt in Nebraska or Kansas, uh, usually we're, we're staying, um, we're usually staying in a, 
in a, uh, a house or, or, a um, a hotel or something. And then, and then we're just driving the truck back and forth to the area that we're hunting. Um, and so then we just leave our bikes in the trailer, we pull them out and we ride from there. Um, but, um, we have hunts that um, we'll, we'll take our trailers and we'll even have a side-by-side. -side. We'll take our side-by-side -side and we'll put a bike rack on the back of it. We'll load it up with a couple of e-bikes and we'll take the side-by-side -side back into an area that we want to hunt. And then we'll pull the bikes off the, the bike rack and then we go back another four or five miles on single track trails or on old logging roads. And the idea behind the bikes that, you know, they're not meant to take the place of four wheelers and side by sides um, for for certain stuff. What they're meant to do is get you into areas quietly and scent free. So um, so we, we'll take them back on a, on a side by side and park at the trailhead and then we'll unload the bikes and then we'll go back four or five miles when we're into our area that we're wanting to hunt. Um, and that's when we're we're not wanting to spook game and we're not wanting to put set scent on the ground and so uh, we'll do that but then we have some hunts too that we'll um, plan it all around the e-bike we'll load our trailers up we've got um, our hunting cargo trailer and our folding cargo trailer that'll hold 150 to 250 pounds and we'll put all of our gear in there and we'll pull it back uh, back into the back country and we'll be 10 12 miles off grid and we'll be there all week long just set up a solar panel and that's how we charge our batteries that's awesome yeah except that's more uh along the lines of what i was was thinking you know i'm, I'm thinking to myself well i i already am gonna backpack in there with all my stuff for camping you know and and as i get more and more into backcountry hunting and things like that i i research a little bit lighter gear not nothing crazy ultra light or whatever but if I can save a few pounds here and there, why the heck not? So, you know, my whole thought was like, Hey, yeah, I'll park at the trailhead with the truck, load up 40 pounds or whatever on the back of the e-bike and then get all the way back in there and, and camp right next to the e-bike for the next week or two, you know, dependent on, um, dependent on, on if I shoot something, how quick, whatever. But I guess what I was, uh, I, I kind of phrased the question, poorly probably um but on on a single trail uh uh on a single trail you know how quickly are you you know that's that's fairly rough how quickly are you typically able to cover ground because if if you can park at the trailhead and set up with an awesome tent or even have a camper there or whatever else and it's only going to take you 30 minutes uh, to an hour to get back in there, you know, on, on a, on a fairly rough single trail. It almost makes sense to just go back and forth morning and night, <laughs> but I, I don't know. I don't know how quickly, well, you know, you traverse on, yeah. on semi rough country. I've, I've never rode them on, yeah. you know? Yeah. Oh, it, it, it's a game changer. I mean, that's the thing is it opens up, um, opportunities that you ordinarily would not have because now all of a sudden you can cover literally five times the amount of ground. Um, so yeah, you now have that option available to you instead of having to hike out an hour and a half, you can ride your bike out in, in a half an hour or 25 minutes 
And right. so now you do, you, you have that option of, of camping at the trailhead or somewhere in that area rather than um, backpacking everything back in because you can ride. Kind of customize it to, to your hunt and and what you want to what you want to do but they move quick yeah you're able to you're able to cover 10 you know, you know 10 12 miles an hour it always depends on the on the trail right. but um you know just to give you an idea uh for example that our our mule um you can easily on flat ground hit 35 miles an hour yeah. so um so it depends on the train that you're riding but yeah, there's no no reason that you couldn't ride um, single track trails that uh, didn't have too many obstacles. Uh, you couldn't ride that at ten to twelve miles an hour and just fly right up the trail. And and how how are they to ride? As far as you know, are you are you typically sitting down when you ride these bike down the trail, or are you standing up? Like how how do they feel on your butt? <laughs> yeah. Well, like riding any bicycle, and your wife can probably tell you this because she's a, a cyclist. But yeah, there there takes some 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 butt conditioning, I would say, to get used to it a little bit. I mean, just sitting on a seat um, when you're not used to it, yeah, it can make your butt a little bit sore. But it's it's just like any other bike. Um, what we have done, if if you look at our mule, for example, um, it's a hardtail bike. Um, it's not a full suspension bike, and that's by design. We we've made that a hardtail bike for for a reason. And the reason is, is that we want that bike to be exactly what it's named after. We want it to be a mule. We want it to haul gear, haul hunters and haul their trailers up and down the trail. If you had a full suspension bike and you load down the pannier bags and you load a trailer on the back of that, it's going to cause the the rear suspension to squat and when you cause the rear suspension to compress and to squat then it's going to change the ride of that bike and it's not going to tow like it should and so so our mule is a hardtail bike so that it can carry heavy pannier bags it can pull a trailer behind it and um and you can get yourself and your gear back there now if you're looking for something that is a little more comfortable and you're more into the Cadillac ride, well then yeah, a full suspension bike um, is more comfortable. It, it, it's got uh, that rear suspension on there and that, that does help. On the mule to kind of make up for it, there's a couple of things. Number one, we did put a suspension seat post on it. So there is about an inch and a half to two inches of, of um, suspension on the seat post and that makes up a little bit for rear suspension but it's also you have to remember they're four inch fat tires so just in the thickness of uh, and the size of the tire and the sidewall that also creates a little bit of of suspension as well so it's not like riding a traditional uh, two inch mountain bike tire it has some suspension just in the tires as well as that uh, that suspension seat post but if you're a guy that just you know maybe you've had back surgery and you're really worried about that a couple of guys uh, we've had a number of our customers buy aftermarket seat posts we've had guys buy the thud buster seat post and swap it out which is a, just a big suspension seat post and you can certainly do that and then still have the hard tail to be able to pull your gear with um 
But if you if you're not pulling gear and you're not pulling or carrying pannier bags, then uh, then our our full suspension storm is just a fabulous bike, a fat tire bike that that will traverse terrain and have the full suspension on it. Huh. That's, that's, that's all interesting to me. <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah. what about, uh, what about like as far as water, you know, if you have to cross a Creek or if it's a downpour raining, how does, you know, how does the motor and the battery and all that stuff do? Do you need to cover it up if it rains that much or? Nope. Nope. Our, our motor and our battery and our, our, the, the whole bike is water is waterproof. It's all the motor is self-contained. You don't have to grease it. You don't have to do anything to maintain it. Um, and same thing with the battery and the battery chamber. You know, I like anything. I you know you couldn't take a motorcycle and and leave it in a in a pond overnight and not expect it to have some impact on the bike. Um, but no, you can certainly ride it across small streams and creeks and. And, um, I've hunted in the rain and in the snow and, and, um, yeah, that, that's not a problem. Oh, that's awesome. That, that's, that's really good to know. Cause I, I don't know if that's a concern that you get very often, but that was something that I automatically thought of. Cause there's several places that I hunt where you, where you cross, I don't know, 12 inches to sometimes 24 inches of water. And it's like, yep. Man, that's an expensive piece of machinery to go short out when I hit that water. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I hear you. Yes. Nope. Nope. It's, it's like you're just fine to, to ride it in, in water, uh, rain, snow, sleet. Um, yep. It, it's fully self-contained. Awesome. Now, as, as for the trailers, um, Talk to us a little bit about, you know, you briefly mentioned the, the trailers that you guys offer, but tell us, I think you offer three of them. Um, and then I'm, I'm also curious to know how the, the double wheel trailer tracks behind you compared to say the single wheel trailer, especially, especially when you're on a, you know, a, a single track, you know, that is, that is what 14 inches wide. So I'm kind of curious about your trailers and that kind of stuff. Yep. Yeah, so there again, you're going to pick your trailer according to the to your hunt. If you're riding a lot of single trails, our single wheel trailer is designed um, to fit um, the same width as you on your bike, and so it, so your the single wheel trailer is not going to stick out any wider on the side of of the trail than you pedaling your bike do. So. Um, so it definitely is the trailer of choice if you're doing a lot of single track riding. The the folding cargo trailer with the two wheels is meant more for exactly that. It's meant more for carrying a little bit heavier load. Um, our hunting cargo trailer, we, we rate that somewhere in the 125 to 150 pound range, um, depending on terrain. Uh, whereas our our folding cargo trailer with the two tires, um, you can put a couple hundred pounds in that one. That one we rate anywhere from 150 to 200 pounds there depending upon, and even heavier depending upon the terrain that you're riding. Gotcha. So I wouldn't suggest that the, the double wheel 
folding cargo trailer if you are doing single track trails. It won't it won't fit um, as tight behind your bike as the single wheel trailer. Um, it's more for those old logging roads and a little bit wider trails that you're riding and when you're carrying more gear. And then our last trailer is our folding deer trailer. And um, that trailer really is a popular trailer, um, especially amongst uh, whitetail hunters, because it, it's a trailer that um, easily disconnects from the rear of the bike. All three of our of our trailers disconnect very easily from the rear axle of the bike. but it, it disconnects real easy from the rear axle and then it actually functions as a hand cart. So you can actually take it off the bike, push it as a hand cart back into the trees, load your deer up on it, pull it back out and hook it up to your bike and, and then hit the trail. So it's really popular with our whitetail hunters because they'll take that guy and they'll, they'll harvest their animal and then they can take it back into the trees, load their game up, and then they can walk it back out and hook it back up to the bike. Oh, that's a good idea. It really is. <coughs> yeah. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> I'm choking on oxygen, and I don't know how that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> You're at elevation. What's your elevation there? Uh, right about 7,000 feet. Yeah. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> There's not as much oxygen at 7,000 feet. Right, right, yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, with your uh, with your trailers, do they they hook on like a like a through axle there on the on the back tire, or how do how do they hook onto the bike? Yeah, real simple. It is a through axle, um, and then with each trailer comes uh, some little attachments, and they either uh one of the 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 folding deer trailer and the folding cargo trailer you'll just remove one of the the nuts on the rear um axle you'll slide this little uh trailer attachment on it and then you'll put the nut back on the on the rear axle and and it's very simple it just kind of has a little pin that slides through and locks into place uh just kind of like you would on a on a, a trailer on the on the hitch of a truck and then um the the hunting cargo trailer um comes with a couple of longer nuts that that actually screw onto the rear axle and then it uh attaches that way so they both come with with the hardware that you need um to be able to attach to the rear axle i got you that's cool that's awesome man so with uh with your guys's uh the panniards what where where are those typically located on the bike how much can those roughly hold and do you offer any type of things to like hold a gun or a bow or or anything like that yeah so the the our our paneer bags are um actually specially designed by us as well. Um, they're dual use bags. So in other words, um, our bags, you can actually attach to the rear pannier rack on the bike and it has three clamps. These clamps um, were built to fit our rack so that the, the pannier bag doesn't swing, doesn't move. You don't kick it with your boots. It holds tight to the bike. Um, 
they're they're designed to hold about 20 to 22 pounds. Um, we really don't want you carrying much more than that because if you put, you know, if you put too much weight over that back wheel, um, we kind of felt like we were jeopardizing our riders going uphill. If you put all that weight on the back end, you're going to have a hard time keeping your front tire down when you're climbing a hill. Right. And right. so as much as we want you to carry gear, we'd rather you put the gear in your trailer that's hooked to the rear axle than putting it on the bike that then is going to cause you to pop a wheelie uh, going uphill. And for the same reason, we actually don't put a rack on the front of the bike. And we've had customers ask us why we don't do that. Well, the reason we don't do that is most hunters are not cyclists like your wife. So when they're, what we found is if, if you're riding downhill, say you're coming down a steep uh, incline, um, if you've got a rack on the front of your bike, um, we're just inclined to put stuff on it. We're, we're inclined to weigh it down. And so if you've got too much weight on the front of your bike and you come down a steep hill, uh, you're going to be up and over your handlebars it's before you know over. it because game over. Exactly. You hope, hope you got a good helmet on because that's what happens is it, it shifts all the weight to the front of the bike. And we found in our testing and trial, because our plans were to put racks on the front of the bike, but we were, we found that it was, it was just a hazard. It was dangerous. We felt like we were going to go over the front of the bikes and, and we just felt like, you know what, we're, we're trying to do too much with this. Let's, let's keep people safe. They can pull a trailer with 150 to 200 pounds of gear. They can put 20 pounds in each pannier bag on that back rack. If they need more than that, then, then camp they probably the better truck. bring a <laughs> camp closer to the truck or bring a buddy just to pull your gear for you. Yeah. So, uh, so man. yeah, those pannier bags are, our pannier bags are, um, a heavy duty, thick canvas with welded seams. It's waterproof, dust proof. They roll down. Um, and just a really sturdy, durable, heavy-duty gear bag that you can then convert into a backpack. So that's the reason that they're a dual-use bag. You can actually, they, uh, each of our bag um, set of bags come with a backpack strap, and the backpack strap attaches to the bag. So you can essentially load your pannier bag down at camp with 20 pounds of whatever, and then you can get to the end of the trail pull it off your bike, throw the backpack straps on it, and now turn it into a backpack. You're not having to shuffle gear out of there and into your other pack, but you can just pull it right off your bike and head up the mountain. Yeah, that's a really good idea. Yeah, I, I could, uh, especially, you know, you go back in and and you're trying to be really minimalist and keep everything yeah. in those uh, as a put, you know, and then not have a trailer, especially, you know, like going on a deer hunt or something. Um, yeah. What, what have you guys found as far as, so say I go on a deer hunt and I don't bring any type of trailer um, and I got on the way in, I got my gear in the pannier bags and then I set up camp and I go hunt and I shoot a deer on the way out. Uh, I'm going to put the deer or, you know, most of it in the, in both sides of the pannier bags and put my gear in my backpack. What have you guys found as far as testing goes, you know, riding with, with 
weight in your backpack and and how heavy maybe would you recommend i mean obviously each person's different i get that um but there's you guys have probably tested some weights that were just pretty miserable to try and ride a bike with with the backpack on so i figured i'd exactly. ask <laughs> exactly yep exactly and we've done that we've done that when we've gone up to to hang tree stands or when we've gone up to um to hang tree cameras you know um uh, when you go up to, to hang your tree cam and you've got 20 cameras in your back and then you've got all the batteries and then you've got the rest of your gear in your backpack. Yeah, it can get heavy. So I, you know, it's going to, it's going to be an individual thing there as well, but we always caution people towards safety. And so I, I caution people to go above that 20, 20 pound limit on their back. Um, I personally, uh, you asked earlier about do we have any type of a rack that we sell to carry a bow or a gun, and yes, we do. We carry a, a rack uh, called the Gator Grip HD uh, bow gun rack, and it's a great, great rack. We sell a lot of them. Um, this is a rack that that you can fit on your handlebars or you can put on the pannier rack, and just does a great job. Um, however, I don't ride technical terrain. Um, with my Gator Grip HD bow rack on my bike because if my bike goes down for any reason, if I happen to wash out or I happen to crash, I don't want my, my weapon on my bike. I want it on me. So, so when I'm riding technical, difficult, rugged terrain, especially single track terrain, I actually put my weapon on my backpack and I'll just uh, tighten it down on my backpack. And so right there, you're a few pounds just in your bow and everything and your quiver and your arrows. And so answer your question. Yeah, probably 20 pounds is as much as I would suggest anybody riding with and it certainly makes a difference on we talked about on your on your backside i mean if you're the more weight that you're putting on your butt on that seat then the more pressure you're putting putting on it and and yeah that it certainly does affect things and that's why we sell trailers and pannier bags so that you don't have to put the weight on you yeah yeah that that's that's probably very wise advice <laughs> Because like we said before, if there's a place yeah. that somebody can put stuff, they're going to put stuff there. Um, it's They're going to do it. Yeah, it's just human nature. You know, it's like, ah, gosh, I have a bike now that can carry all this stuff. I, I think I'm going to take the wall tent rather than my one-pound tent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, cool. exactly, exactly. Well, Brian, I've I've had a, an absolute blast chatting with you about your bikes. Um, to kind of close this up, I was just wondering if there are maybe a few typical questions that that you guys get as a company. You know, whether whether people are calling in for the first time or people are calling in and and they're struggling with something on the on the bike, or you know, you're at a show and and most people come up and they ask you X. Um, I didn't know if there's a few questions that come to mind like that. That way, maybe we could get some of those answered yep. before they get a hold of you. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, after, after everybody asks us, how far will it go? Um, then the next question that they ask is, um, 
why would we want to buy yours as opposed to somebody else? And um, quite frankly, um, I tell them, we really didn't build these bikes for you. We're bow hunters. And if you remember how we got into this, we built these bikes for us. Um, we're the ones that are out testing them. Um, we're the ones that are out demoing them. We don't, we don't manufacture something that we haven't already tested out first. Um, and so now we're, now we have, you know, thousands of riders out there that are, that are also giving us their feedback on, on how we can improve stuff. And, and just like every other product will continue to evolve, but we, we actually build these bikes for us so that we can beat them up and, and we know what they're like. So we kind of feel like we know what hunters want as well. Um, but the thing that I tell them is these are fat tire mountain bikes that we have turned into being e-bikes, electric hunting bikes by doing two things, putting a motor and a battery on it. So the first thing that you should consider in my opinion is the motor and the battery. From there, once you pick your motor and once you pick your battery, then you can start looking at suspension. And just like any bike, you can go into the bike shop and you can buy a bike that costs you 300 bucks or you can buy one that costs you $10,000. And that's always going to um, come in um, because of the, the components on the bike or the suspension on the bike. Is it, a, is it an air suspension fork or is it just a spring-loaded suspension fork? Is it um, carbon fiber or is it a metal frame? Is it an aluminum frame? Um, are they, um, what kind of wheels are on it? Um, handlebars, brakes, all of that stuff is going to come into play. But I say, first and foremost, know what kind of motor you're buying. Um, and like I say, the, the Bafang ultra mid drive motor is the industry leading, um, biggest, baddest, heavy duty motor that is on the market. And one thing that we didn't talk about with this motor is not only is it big med metal, big heavy duty metal gearing with uh, 18 to one gear reduction ratio and, and efficient for the for the battery, but it also has what's called an integrated torque sensor. And the torque sensor is what tells the motor how much pressure the rider is putting on the pedals. So the more pressure you put on the pedals, the more power the motor gives back to you. It makes it feel very natural. If you don't have a torque sensor, then, then the motor has no idea if you're putting a lot of pressure or a little bit of pressure on the on the pedals, all it knows is you're turning the pedals. So it's either turns on when you turn the pedals or it turns off when you're not turning the pedals. So the BBS HD motor and the BBS O2 motors and the, the hub motors, because they don't have torque sensors on them, it's an all or nothing feel. When you're riding them, when you turn the pedal, it's just, it's a predetermined amount of power. Whereas with the ultra motor, because it's a smart motor, if I'm riding downhill and I've got a big pack on and I'm pulling a big heavy trailer and I have to make a hairpin turn, the last thing I want is a predetermined amount of power exploding me through that turn and throwing me onto my head. I want to feel like I'm in complete control. So, 
So yeah, so with the torque sensor, the motor backs off. It lets you stay in control. So you feel like you're in control of the bike. It's not, when I ride a bike that doesn't have, and this was our big, one of our biggest determining factors from going away from the BBS HD and the BBS O2 motors, which are good motors, but they don't have torque sensors in them. And because of that, I felt like the cruise control on my car was kicking on and off. I kind of felt like it was, when I turned the pedals, it kicked on and I'd stop pedaling and then it kicked off. And, and when I was going downhill, I felt like I didn't have control. I felt like the motor was in control. Whereas with this ultra motor, you're in complete control. It feels natural to you. Not only is it bigger and beefier and, and built to withstand the, the rugged terrain riding that we do, but it also is a smart motor with this torque sensor and then integrated speed sensors and cadence sensors and uh, brake sensors. Um, it, it just is, it's a great, great motor. Um, so that's one of the things that they ask us. They say, why would we buy yours? And I say, well, um, if you're going to pick it based on a motor and a battery, well, we have the top of the line in, in battery and motor. And then from there, we've built our bikes. We're not going to put the best motor and, and top of the line batteries on them and then not put high end components. We're going to put a really high end front suspension air fork on it so that you can adjust the air in your fork to a guy that weighs 150 pounds or a guy that weighs 280 pounds. You're not going to want the same amount of air pressure in that one guy's going to be riding rugged terrain and he's going to want a little softer suspension and another guy's going to be riding flat ground and he wants a little stiffer suspension. So it depends on what you're riding. Um, you can adjust your suspension on these high-end forks that we run. We run wide handlebars that give you a big base of support, locking handle grips. Um, we run a really heavy-duty um, 120 thread per inch Maxi's Minion tire. So it's a, a, a heavy-duty tire that withstands flat tires and, and stickers and thorns. Doesn't mean you can't get a flat, but they're less likely to um, to the right gearing to high end components on the bike. Um, so yeah, that's probably the two questions we get: how far will it go? And so we educate them on batteries and and the uh, the uh, the variables there, and then we educate them on motors, motors, batteries, and components on a bike, and then we say what what type of riding do you do? You know, um, if you're hunting, if you're hunting hills and mountains, then you really need to think about uh, the ultra mid drive motor. If you're hunting Kansas and Nebraska and it's flat ground and you're not climbing hills, well, then maybe maybe you can look more towards our stalker, um, which is a rear hub bike um, that is built to to traverse flat ground. It's not built to climb, but it's perfect for running around on flat ground. And so maybe maybe the 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 mule or the storm is overkill. I'd say that that's more like taking a diesel truck down to get your groceries at the grocery store. <laughs> you don't need it for that. You right, want it to right. build, you want it to climb hills, but the stalker will do just fine for, for hunting on flat ground. And so we sell a lot of our stalker bikes to, um, to guys that, that hunt flat ground. And then, and then we, we also um, kind of separate ourselves with our Puma our Puma is a bike that um, is a rear hub bike, but it's it's a 5,000 watt motor, and this thing just screams. It it easily tops 50 miles per hour, and we sell a lot of these Pumas to to guys that that 
that uh, have to cover a lot of ground. You know, we sell a lot to Texas and New Mexico where they're out on big ranches and they have to get from point A to point B and they don't want to pedal and they don't want to do 12 miles an hour, but they want to get there at 40 miles an hour, but they want to be quiet and they want to be scent free. And, uh, and so they, they migrate towards our Puma. That is, that's insanely fast for, <laughs> it is it is it is and then you know we just want people to know that we're we're just like you we're hunters we 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 want value we want things that you know these things aren't cheap um whether you buy a $2500 bike or a $4500 bike they're not cheap and so we want you to know that that we stand behind our products we want it to be everything that you want it to be um and so when you when when you have a question or you have a concern, uh, somebody's going to pick up the phone on our end and, and we're going to walk you through it. At the end of the day, we're not happy if you're not happy. If uh, every customer we have turns into a salesman because they love our products that much that they're going to tell their friends and family about it. And we want you to want to tell people about us. And so we're not happy if you're not happy and we'll do whatever it takes to make sure that you are. Gotcha. Uh, last question that I have is you, you mentioned the tires and, you know, being as puncture resistant as you can. Do you recommend utilizing that, uh, <clears throat> that tire goop stuff, whatever the heck it's called? I don't even know, but do you recommend using something like that yeah. for e-bikes for e and especially going in the, into the back country? Yes, we do. Yes. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just a, a puncture sealant. Um, in, in our bikes, we run tubes. You know, people will ask us quite often, do we run a tubeless or a tube, a tube tire? And we run tubes. And, and we do that because if you get a flat and you're five miles back or 10 miles back, we want you to be able to change your tube. If you're tubeless, you're kind of up the creek. So, um, we know there's benefits to tubeless tires and, and some people that's all that they want to ride. You can certainly convert our, our wheels into being tubeless tires, but we run tubes and yes, I recommend that you put a sealant inside the tube because if you happen to get that little thorn that gets its way through there, uh, we also, uh, with each of our bikes, we give you a, uh, a little puncture proof Kevlar band that you can put in between the tube and the tire and it is puncture resistant. So if you were to go over a thorn, it can actually get through the tire. It, it can get through the tire, but it can't get through this, this uh, Kevlar band to puncture the tube. However, things just happen. And sometimes a, a thorn comes in on a sidewall or it comes in somehow. And so, um, yes, at the end of the day, do everything you can to avoid a flat. And that includes putting in a, in a whether it's a, a green slime or, or a stands or something that um, they're very inexpensive. You can buy it. You can buy a tube of it for, you know, five, six, seven, eight bucks or so. And, and it'll help seal up just those little thorn holes. Gotcha. Gotcha. <clears throat> well, uh, that, that actually brought up one other question. Um, <laughs> what about your guys's, yeah. your chains and what, what's the frequency of chains actually breaking? You know, I was watching some people using just regular mountain bikes, you know, they weren't e-bikes or anything, but they were pulling trailers and they, 
um, several times had several chains break. And I was thinking, man, that would really put a damper in your bike quick. <laughs> so, well, you know, yeah. is, is that something pretty likely or not all that likely? Or how do you mitigate that? Yeah, well, it, it's kind of like, like any other um, vehicle that uses a chain, whether it's a motorcycle or, or what have you, um, bicycles. Yeah, you have, to, you have to take care of things. You have to maintain them. There, there is service and, and maintaining that should take place. And, and we recommend that, you know, after a hunt, you know, we'll go on a two or three week hunt, uh, elk hunt in Idaho, and we come home and boy, our bikes are just thrashed. Well, while we're up there, we try to clean the chain off and, and we actually sell online. We sell a chain cleaner that you just, it's, it's made up of little brushes and you, you run your chain through this and it cleans the dust and dust is nothing more than little tiny rock particles. And over time, um, those rock particles running over the gears just stretch the chain and, and can, and, and can weaken the chain. So yeah, you can, but we run, we run chains that are heavy duty, um, e-bike chains. We don't just run a, a traditional, and this comes back to what I was saying right at the very first about uh, research and development. Those first e-bikes that we were riding, they were urban bikes that looked like, you know, fat tire mountain bikes, but they weren't. They were still urban bikes, and the chains on them were very thin chains, and and yeah, we, we broke chains. But on on our bikes now, we run chains that are manufactured to go on e-bikes and withstand the torque and the strains that are put on a chain because it's not just the rider that is creating torque on that chain now, but it's a 1,000-watt motor that is also creating that torque. So, um, so yeah, you have to, you know, with our bikes, you don't have to think about that because we've already done it. We put a heavy-duty chain on there that is is less likely to break. But, you know, you have your you have your bike for four or five years. Are you going to go through chains? Of course. Yeah, you're going to want to upgrade. You're going to want to uh, keep your chains in good condition, and, and you're going to want to, you know, get a tune-up and get a new chain um, from time to time, just like your wife does with her mountain bike and her road bike. You have to maintain them. Um, but chances are the folks that you saw busting chains, they were pulling trailers on a regular chain on a regular bike. And that was too much torque and was causing them to break a link. And, uh, we, we don't have that happen very often because we run such heavy, heavy chains. Gotcha. 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 Well, that's good. That's good. Cause I, I'm that guy, Brian, that, that, that breaks basically everything that I touch. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's good to know. I, yeah, I, I break the quote unquote unbreakable and, uh, a lot. <laughs> we, in fact, well. in fact, we have a spot in our budget for stuff Zach breaks. I mean, that's, that's how much stuff I break. <laughs> <laughs> we all need that. We all need that that's money set aside in the budget because I think any of us that that are passionate about the outdoors and and finding remote areas and getting to remote areas we go to extremes so right we're probably right. all in that same boat right so uh to close us off here Brian why don't you let people know where they can get a hold of you guys where they can go check out your bikes uh maybe your social media and and where they can buy one of these bad boys 
Awesome. Great. Yeah. So uh, you can find us. Our website is backcountryebikes.com. Uh, you can certainly give us a call. Uh, you can call me direct at uh, 385-288-1156. Um, or you can find us on Instagram or Facebook at uh, Backcountry Ebikes. Um, yeah, so uh, any you can you can text that three eight five number. You can you can call it, or you can uh, certainly come visit us on our website. We've got a chat box on our website, so you can ask questions there, um, or you can also email us by uh, going to the to the website and going to contact, and you can email us through that way as well. Awesome. 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 Well, Brian, I, I've had an absolute blast and, and I learned a lot about e-bikes, what to look for. Uh, and I just, I'm just going to, I just going to have to talk my wife into getting one, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's put her on one. You, you, you know, there's one thing that they're, you, you can only imagine how they, how cool they are when we sit and talk about it. But until you ride one, um, you really don't even know how cool they really are. So we just need to get her on one. And as soon as we get her on one, she'll be sold. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, like <laughs> I said, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day and hopping on the show. Uh, I think, I think a lot of people are going to learn quite a bit from, from this episode because as you know, they, they seem like they have been around for a little while, but they're so they're at the same point. They're so new that people just don't know much about them. So I really appreciate you hopping on today. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me. Thanks so much, Zach. <laughs>